listening to The RC, your guide to digital cinema, filmmaking, and cutting-edge imaging. Hi, and welcome to this week's RC podcast covering digital cinematography. This week we're going to be looking at everything from microphones to uh, cameras to going down some rat holes and discussing the uh, SciTech Oscars. Oh, sorry, the normal Oscars, I should apologise, not the SciTech Oscars, uh, and much, much more. And i got a feeling there'll be the odd rat hole here on the RC, our FX podcast, where we see our role is to mine the news, filter the blogs, and have some fun. And joining me on the line via satellite is Jason Wingrove. How are you, sir? Hello. Excellent. From rain-soaked Sydney, again. It is pretty wet, isn't it? Oh, man, Freaking wet. Yes. It's uh, 14 degrees and incredibly wet. I mean, incredibly wet. Like Yeah, they're not as wet floods. as some states, which are, yeah, flooding, yeah. but uh, still, nonetheless. And was it but 10 days ago that we had 46 degree heat and it yep. set a record for Sydney and it was like 114 Fahrenheit and they had to actually invent a new scale because they didn't have maps right. that had a colour code that went that hot? That's right. I had to put new code, new colours on the radar to cover the temperatures we were having. And um, but I don't believe back. in global... now it's a complete Duna day. But I don't believe in global climate change. No, no, that's right. No, it's a complete hoax. <laughs> Liquid sunshine. There you go. How are you, sir? Oh, good, excellent. Thank you. Out of my post, stuck, and now back to obscurity, stroke, and unemployment. But um, I'm good. I'm well, and uh, yes, it is done. I know that you are joking about the unemployment thing, but there is that phenomenon, isn't it, when you're a freelancer, that when you stop working, you just go, oh, yeah. well, there's just no money coming. Even though you may have been really, really busy, you can't coast it. Yeah, well, I mean, you kind of... I mean, I'm sure it happens in, differently in other parts of the world, but I'll get paid, like, you know, first 50 up front, then a second 50 after the whole job's done, and then, if you, you know, if you're lucky and you've done well, profit share as well. So, you know, you can stop shooting and still get stuff rolling in. But yeah, it doesn't take much in terms of just physically and, and work-wise to go from um, sitting on your ass to just being absolutely frantic. You just need the one big gig. And then, uh, yes, immediately as soon as you walk out of the last online session, that's it. Back to um, back to thinking about what how you can um, improve your website. Yeah. How is the website? It's all right. It's been stuck in eyewear bland for quite a while, so I'm not quite sure. I've t- tinkered with all that frickin' stupid Squarespace kind of, you know, build your own build your own website for a while, and I just keep coming back to the eyewear. I'm sorry, I can just drag and drop, and it's still good, it's still easy, and but I will one day have to do something amazing because the days of um, what I would normally do is, you know, a couple of times a year, sit there as a, like a little sheltered workshop on my, on my coffee table and um, burn, spend fucking weeks with <laughs> DVD Studio Pro trying to um, d- do a DVD menu and work out the the run list and making sure everybody was happy and then doing the artwork for the, you know, for the um, uh, liner notes and the. Um, uh, you know, then the whole cutting, guillotining, sticking, pressing, mail-outs mail and things. So I think slowly the whole DVD thing is is thankfully dying. And it's uh, nowadays, I think I just have a whole bunch of Vimeo links. And uh, if anybody wants specific stuff, they can just download it from anywhere in the world and build their own DVD at their end. Or, you know, take all the clips and brand their own DVD, depending on which company's repping me. So... Yeah, I think the DVD reel thing, although the, 
you know, production companies and agencies love to have it all on their shelves. Um, My problem is that if it's it's on the shelf, I actually think there's a big psychological problem. Because so few people use DVDs, I think while they might want to have them on their shelf, they don't actually look at them on their shelf. And that you you might say, well, we've got your reel. But if somebody's somebody's got a link, then they just send it to somebody. They can't literally be bothered up from their desk and walking over to where they are. I would, yeah. be, I would be stunned, actually, if uh, DVDs mattered much in terms of reels at all. Yeah, I really must ask a bit of that. I, I must say I'm being asked less and less about it and, and these days. I, it's so much easier for me to, if someone says, oh, look, you know, have you got any spots with whatever, turtles riding bicycles? I can put a page up and put all my turtles riding bicycle spots on one page and, and um, uh, you know, that. I guess give them their own little sort of custom sort of area to do, and I can you know, do that in half an hour. Yeah. Um, versus the whole thing of having to DVDs and then burn it and thing and stick it and then realise you fucked up and have to do it another three times and then organise a courier or drive it there yourself and it's just yeah. So yeah, the website. I think people are just generally that's just how people think now. Just you just I, want, here's the other yeah, thing. Like bandwidth to, is great. Yeah. Everyone wants video. They go to the web. We used to, we worried about colour space, that, you know, if somebody was putting something up on a monitor, it would be bigger and it would look better because yeah. the telly would look better than their crappy computer. But these days, I actually think with retina displays and stuff, the best colorimetry that you're likely to get, you know, just if you were using domestic gear, your best shot of having somebody look at something with the most accurate colour to what you had in the, the grading suite is actually an iPad. So, yeah. you know, whereas it used to be a few years ago that you'd be like, oh, your computer's got this crappy monitor and it may not even be like, you know, it's like some stupid Dell thing and it's going to be like the colours are all off. But nowadays, yeah. actually, it's the TV that has dynamic mode and, and you know, crush mode and stupid colour mode and yeah. it's got 60-field enhanced vision mode. And I think, yeah, we've done tests and the colour image on an iPad is better than all of those. Oh, look, the average iMac and now the 27-inch, those 27-inch Apple displays are just sensationally uh, beautiful. And I had situations just with with agency and with client screenings on this last job that the agency would rather bring the client to the edit, even though the edit had been long finished and there was no editor there. They were just coming to the room because they knew... Uh, there was a good monitor there, and they knew that uh, all the monitors in the agencies were shit, and all the uh, monitor at the client's office was was shit. And and you know the client and the agency just sat there in the room complaining about each other's monitors and saying, "Wow, this looks great here." So you know that uh, multi multi million dollar clients, multi million dollar. You know, I went to a party um, of a, at a new agency. They like opened up. You know, it was a launch thing, and you know, it's a few years ago, and. We'd done their reels up for them because they'd like specifically said, we want to have a show reel. It's playing in Ooh. all the you know rooms that the, everyone's walking around in this cocktail party, so they can see our work on every monitor and you know. And they were like, in, and they were really fussy about this. And I was totally fine with that because, in fact, I like it when people are you know fussy. That's a good thing. Yeah. Every monitor I went to in the place had the wrong setup for sixteen by nine. That meant the image was squashed and stretched. Do you know what I mean? Like it just was completely yeah. looked horrible. All the logos were the wrong aspect ratio. If nothing else, I mean, forget the fact that I think the vision was more important. Their logos, their clients' logos just looked all wrong. And I was like, you are shitting me. Like we spent hours getting these reels all great for you and you can't mm. even set your monitor. These yeah, are 16 by just- 9 monitors. No, you don't want to crop them and then shrink them and then stretch them. Like just give me the remote. And they were like, no, no, don't worry about it. It's fine. 
that's still going to happen. If you go to, you know, go and get a, go to your big box store, get a brand new, mon- beautiful, you know, brand name monitor set up, it's going to look shit because, A, it's probably going to be set up for in-store mode, but B, it's probably got that horrible 200, 400, 600 hertz motion plus bullshit on it to try and turn everything into uh, a video game. It's just quite, quite horrible. And it just astounds me that the average... Joe just doesn't look at this stuff and in 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 whatever JB Hi-Fi here and just go, what the fuck is wrong with this TV? You know, I I constantly I'm and I'm very very much looking at uh, a new TV, a bigger TV. I'm talking seventy something, whatever, maybe seventy eighty inches, and. I just cannot. I've been in there a couple of times with the monitor, with the remote control. So can you give me the remote control? I gotta. I've gotta unfuck this, unfuck up this monitor. It's just horrible, and spend there forever digging through menus, trying to turn off the awful filter. Um, you know, you got um, three hundred million dollar feature film playing on a ten thousand dollar monitor with uh, you know a beautiful 2k di with 20 40 million dollar vfx budget and it's looking you make it this monitor out of the box makes it look like um call of duty or something so it's uh, and i've spent hours with the remote trying to switch this shit off and i, I can't through through miles of you know there's amazing menus now you can get fantastic color control and, and amazing color con- you know you sort of really dig down into curves even yet they can't switch off the shit it just amazes me so yeah even to, even today you can even today you can still have a shocking um a, a shocking result with a brand new monitor out of the box so yeah um watching stuff on ipads and uh, even iphone retina screen iphone and 27 you know and the newer imax yeah i'm i'm all for it so death to death to dvds and and um all that kind of stuff i think and, and bring it on i don't i don't really need to spend a couple of weeks i could of course pay someone to do this but uh, often you don't because it's you just like i had to break it to you but I, I really i'm past websites now no, i'm not past websites i'm just kidding but I, I honestly the thing that excites me at the moment actually is doing more uh e-publishing work so mm. we're getting into doing more e-publishing and stuff because my problem is with the website so i should have a showreel app you should either have a showreel app or an iBook would be nice a portfolio a iBook app. would be really nice jess hmm you can have a bit about you know about the author and yeah, then, and you know, your craft, some on and your set process. behind the mm-hmm. stuff. Interview yeah. with people. Yeah. Interview with agencies that have worked with me. Only the good ones. Um, yeah, clips, clips. Bit of behind the scenes. I think, swap, I think we need to take this off the audio. And we'll talk about this. <laughs> swap the audio channel. You can have sort of um, directors go, go com- to yeah, directors yeah. commentary. <laughs> Sounds good. Sure. So that wasn't a long time before we got in a rat hole. Now was it? Yeah. Um, no, okay. No getting back to the show for a second, um, and. And I don't know why I'm doing that because I quite enjoy talking to you. So, you know, what the heck? Um, yes, we should cover a bit about what's in the news. And then uh, we've got some really good interviews coming up later in the show with the Red Room in particular. Um, I had a, well, over on the VFX show, uh, the other podcast, we had a good discussion about um, Oscar winners uh, in that category of visual effects. And that ended up, I was like, discussion on cinematography and uh, I think I mentioned there we spoke to uh, Janusz Kaminski, the uh, DOP of Lincoln, so we'll have some uh, quotes and sound bites from him from my discussion I had with him also um, I got into an interesting rat hole during the week Jason with uh, Ben Allen who does our DOP course 
at FXPHD about light meters, and I wanted to pick your brain about that. So we'll, all that coming up later mm. in the kind of, well, maybe not the red room, but certainly the, uh, the scarlet-y, lilac-y, um, red slightly tinted pink room. Yes, in the, the red corridor. <laughs> in the red corridor coming up later in the show. Um, but before we do that, let's quickly get through some gear so we can get back to um, interesting cool bits. And look, I know a you, lot of it. There's there is, but it. there's actually one. That, can I start out of order? I'm sorry. Yes, do. For those course. of you that are not regular listeners, Jason goes a lot of trouble to work out the um, show because he's like that. He's an organised director type. But I'm going to screw things up because I'm the guy who walks on set and says, "Hey, look at this cool thing." Hey, what if we? What's just... the V bag? Because uh, you said that you had one that you were playing with. Is that right? Yeah. No. Well, what I... is it? Uh, well, because it looks like the, the thing you put around your arm to get your blood pressure tested. Well, it's kind of like that. It actually the technology started, I think, in the uh, emergency medical era, uh, sort of arena, like for isolating or stabilizing patients that may have like a neck or a back injury or whatever. They can basically, you know, freeze someone in position and then move them onto a gurney or whatever and transport them. So. Um, I've used these before, but very big versions of them. Like they make versions of this. It's about uh, you know even like a meter and a half by by a meter or so for um, rigging like a big you know like a a big film camera with a thousand foot mag and a ten to one lens on it. But, but and, what is uh, it? So what it is is basically a I guess it's a pillow. <laughs> That's really, yeah, that's really devaluing what this uh, thing is. I'm not being I sarcastic. I don't know what okay, it is. Okay, it's a right, a posi- I had to try and work out what the, how you even described the thing. Positionable, moldable camera rigging bag, basically. I guess you could like a kind of a, 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 a pillow, um, but it's a, an inflatable bag with kind of very fine beads in it. Oh, it so has something in it. It's not so just it is an kind airbag. of like you know, like those sort of soft things that you might put round your round your neck or for for a flight. Right. Yeah, it's kind of like that technology, but it's uh, an air and a, a very, oh, an airtight bag uh, with a vacuum pump system. So basically, when you suck out the air, you can mold this thing around a round a post or a pole or a, or a car bonnet or a shelf, and also then sort of shove it up around the base of the camera. Give it a bit of perch just around the camera. Suck all the air, air out of it with a little pump, and boom, it is rock solid. And then then after that, oh, you know, okay. So of- I'm misunderstanding. So in fact, you don't pump it up with air. You use this thing to suck the air out. It's like a cine saddle that is mu- like a memory foam kind of cine saddle. Okay. I thought it was like a pillow that you blew up, and I was thinking, well, I don't understand why the camera wouldn't just bounce off it. Yeah, so it it starts off as just like neutral neutral pressure, and it's moldable, kind of like those things again that you might put around your um, little mini tiny fine fine grained bean bag you might put around your neck. Um, I got it. Okay. So yeah, so then you can. I mean, there's a couple. There's if you just if you just Google V bag V B A G, and if you go to vbag.com, there's a few demos, some great demo videos. And I'm going to shoot one of my own because this is one of those things where everyone says, "What the hell is that thing? That is stupid. I have no interest." And then you give it to someone, and you like, "Okay, give me your give me your leg," and you wrap it around your leg, and you pump it all up, and you go boom, bang, and then they go, "Holy shit, that is fantastic!" Now I've not bothered. I mean, this is previously they've been really big sizes, as I say, like a meter and a half by a meter, very tough, very heavy, very rugged. So you know, it's almost, a bit like almost a, military grade. It, it, it's plastic looks like a shot bag, right? Yeah, it's kind of like yeah. If you think about it like a moldable shot bag, okay. where that's very lightweight, uh, foldable, travelable, um, virtually you know weighs virtually nothing, and it's completely self-contained. Then you can unsnap it, unpack it, 
put it on wherever you want to mount a camera. If you're like looking on high on something to look down or anywhere where it's a little bit weird and you don't want to muck around with wedges and, and, and blocks and things and you just want a really quick fix or if you want to just get in a rough position before you start strapping something. Um, yeah, shove it in, mould it in, get, get as much sort of uh, of the bag sort of up against the camera and wrapped around the object. doesn't really matter if it seems really weird. You pump the air out of it and it will... It becomes rock solid, and it's a really great um, and very very quick. It's much quicker than, you know, done, we've all done it before with like um, we call them sushis or like pancakes, apple boxes, wedges, all that sort of stuff, adjustable wedges, and it's quite fiddly. This really gets you into uh, into into a, into a tight spot and gets your camera positioned and parked very quickly. And just little, it's all self-contained. Got little sort of like. You know, like the little blood pressure um, bulb there, just to pump the uh, pump the air out. And once you're done, and you lock it, it stays. It's terrific. Now, obviously, you then still need to be safety conscious. Get some straps. Get some other little safety tethers as well. If you're rigging it on high or rigging it to something that's moving, um, this is not going to. You know, this is not like super glue holding an elephant, a car over an elephant or anything. This is. You know, it, it has its limits. You still then have to put some safety tethers on. But uh, it gets you 90% of the way in about 30 seconds. Have you done lots of commercials with, you know, cars suspended over elephants? <laughs> no, I just always remember that super glue one. Remember when, when cyanoacrylate glues came out and they had some some elephant suspended from a crane or something? Okay. Hey, no, um, no, the thing about me, this no. I wanted to ask you about is does it actually have a tripod fitting on it? No, or is there's you... nothing. It's purely so it's like designed. a saddlebag that you would sit yeah, it like in Yeah, like if you're cradle. setting it up in a gutter on a slopey hill or on the top of a fridge or if you're trying to put a camera up on a, on a cupboard in a corner of a room looking down to try and be like a security camera point of view or uh, it... rigging on, the, on, a, on a ledge of a veranda or anywhere kind of precarious where if you just put the camera there you know it's just not quite safe enough this just gives you that extra little bit of you know comfort or a little bit of stability or particularly if you're on an angle like on a slope of a hill or something weird where you know i mean as i say it's it's something that's very light and easy to travel with and and it um, really is light well the thing with as i said i've worked with they've previously v-back and they still do make very Big large ones. cine ones which previous have always been in the grips truck and yeah. and have always been very you know i know that they're there but it's not the kind of thing if i'm doing a smaller run and gun project not the kind of thing i would have with me so what we've got here is the the bloom Ver, bloom um signature, signature v-bag is it's much smaller it's about i think 50 mil by 40 mil very light, much lighter weight fabric uh, you could literally just chuck chuck it in the suitcase and don't worry about it. Uh, it's a much lighter, smaller, and more suited to, you know, I mean, you certainly could even use it with Epic and smaller cameras and um, much more kind of run-and-gun or doco version, I guess. And it's taken the technology, which is really kind of let the grips buy one of those and I'll have it when I need it. And it's taken it into the kind of got to have in your kit. Like the Cine Saddle thing we've talked about before, and you've got one of those, Mike, and they're mm. terrific, but they are, you know, it's a bean bag. You can't... You can't you know, pack it in a suitcase if you're going yeah, to Yeah, it's, it's not... Yeah, exactly. Or if you are going to, you know, travel with it, then you've got to put its own little luggage tank on it and chuck it in the... Um, chuck it in the... Chuck it in the... In the How carousel. much are these things? Uh, it is 249 US. Oh, really? I thought they were, like, a lot more than that. Well, the, la- the heavy-duty ones are... Um, you know, like six, five, start around five or six or seven hundred for a, for a kid or two or three sizes, euros 
for around the big one metre square ones, but for the smaller ones, it's uh, 249 and quote the discount code of RC Podcast for 5% off. Thank you very much, VBag. Brilliant. But it's an awesome little tool, and as I say, it's taken this, this new smaller version. It's taken it from something that uh, you don't want to own to something that you you really should have. And you've got one. It's, you've actually been playing I have one. Great. It's terrific. I absolutely love it. And I'm going to shoot a demo. But again, go look at these videos. You have to see the demos to understand why it's um, okay. why it's, it's why it's so cool. Can I talk about another thing that came out this week that I just thought was beyond awesome? It was so yeah. awesome that I was Twittering that I... And I know that this is absolutely true. I, this is something that I didn't know I needed to have until I saw it, and then I just can't understand how it hasn't happened already. I so need this now. Um, so if you're listening, uh, Rode microphones, they've come oh, out yes. with... Sorry? Oh, yes. So Very Rode, nice. I know you know these guys, but, but yeah. let me just say this bit, and I'm sure you know a lot more about it than I did, so I'll shut up. But, but I do a lot of work with lav mics. I mean, I'm, we put out a huge amount of content and I would have one on me probably three out of five days of the week, if not four out of the five days of the week. So I wear them a lot. I use them a lot. And, um, and normally they go to uh, our, you know, wireless, wireless <laughs> transmitter in my pocket, which then goes over to the wireless receiver at the camera. And normally that isn't even at the camera. It's a separate recorder. And then we sync the sound up with what we're getting off the camera um, using Pluralize. So that's fine, uh, but we travel with these. And we, the, the thing that we travel with, just to be really clear about this, is the Sennheiser transmitter and receiver and then about 40 spare batteries because yeah. we go through so many of them, right? And yeah. people go, well, can't you just use rechargeable batteries? And I'm going to take a rechargeable battery charger and then I go to different countries and it's always a bit of a hassle. And I'm never really you know, sure how much battery is left in those rechargeable batteries because it's not like you can get a battery indicator of like where you're at. And it's just yeah. not and worth all the, the right risk. cables. Oh no, we only we didn't yeah. brought the XLR. We brought we brought the thirty three point five to three point five. And we I need a plug changer so I can plug that recharger into the different powers that I'm at. And so generally yeah. we just use and, and, AA batteries. And the power and the memory cards for and they the XLR-based yep. recorder that you need to plug it into. I mean, this is all very good and pro, and if you've got someone to run it and you're not running around madly and you're not trying to do sort of small, you know, run and gun Except small for I am, stuff. I am if you have a dedicated sound guy, stuff. great. <laughs> but, you don't, guys, you don't, but you don't have a dedicated sound guy. I mean, we do sometimes have a set of days. I mean, I was shooting this week and we had a dedicated sound guy. But the trouble is that, yeah, you're right. A lot of time we don't. And, and the other thing is it's just a lot of extra bits and pieces to carry with us. And, you know, you've got to make sure that the A's are together and the B's and we have C's. We have like sometimes we have – I've been at NAB this year. We'll have eight sets of these. That would be standard. Yeah. And so what is it that Rhodes come out with? Well – Imagine that you got all that gear and you said, hey, can I just take the microphone and its associated cable? Can I just have that bit? That's all I need. What? What about all the other stuff? No, I don't need any of that. I I don't understand. How could you do all of this with just the little mic that clips on your shirt and its cable? That's not enough stuff. He goes, ah, because Rode worked out how to plug that into your iPhone and, and you're away. And it's like, yeah, I'm what? sure this has been done before, but maybe just for some $5 eBay piece of shit. Which I'm sure. I don't so think don't anyone's want. really cracked this before, which I don't, um, astounds me. But I've got to say, like, it used to be in the old days that the iPhone didn't have enough capability to record high-quality audio for what was coming in through the jack. And yeah. if you did, you had all these problems with, is it phantom power or is it not? And how can I set the levels? And I really need to make sure this is recording properly. I can't have something that kind of works. But and, and I've bought these things for just 
you know, using my iPhone to record an interview, whereas just, and I'll come back to that option in a second. Yeah, yeah. But the software that runs it is notoriously complicated because it's all cute and artsy and, you know, you press this button and it goes to your Mimos and then your Mimos resync over here and it, it just doesn't work very well. And you just want reliable, I can just see the levels, see what's going on and make sure this is working perfectly. So, yeah. I've said so this enough. This is a road quality you know lab. More about it. It's only sixty bucks. Oh my god, um, sixty bucks! It's yeah, just, it's terrific, damn. and it plugs straight into your iPhone. Now, why it's good is because they've also brought out the uh, Road Record. They have a lightweight app, and which works really well. But they also have a pro paid app, which I think is you know five bucks or something. <laughs> Um, but what, how these things work really well together and why, as I say, as you have realized, Mike, the system and, and, and this, the way of working is going to be so good is that you can, once you've recorded, you have proper record levels. This is not, you know, Vox levels where if you do one loud thing, it suddenly the, you know, the, 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 the levels drop down. It's giving you proper record inputs. Uh, it's letting you do compression, expansion, um, and then and, and then when you get into edit, it's letting you actually edit waveforms if you want to, rubber band the fade-ins, fade-outs if you wanted to, normalize the volume, change the gain levels, really get into the edit if you want. And then it's a really beautiful transport system. The UI of the, of the recorder is bloody fantastic. Uh, it has, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, uh, I'm looking at my rig here to see, what do we call it? Have you got one? Limiter. It's got a limiter in there as well. No, no, no. I'm, no, I was looking oh, at my, got... my, my recording rig to oh, try okay. and get, I've forgotten the name of the limiter, yep. <laughs> of the thing that limits the audio. That would be the limiter. Um, and to then, to, to then just get it, set it to drop, Dropbox or to SoundCloud. So straight from the app. So, or as you say, just dock dock the iPhone onto your onto your Mac, and you get the files out from from the audio notes part through iTunes. And you know, so, there's little wind up, wind or things. Or you can set your own FTP. I think proper lav stuff that you'd expect because these guys know how yep. to make microphones. Like this. Is, yeah, that's right. This is yeah. what you want. You want a good microphone. Yeah, exactly. It's a good microphone. Good. What you pattern. don't want is somebody that makes a really good app and then gets a cheapo, you know, South North Korean company to make the mic. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> this is like, like this is what you know. Sound is so key. No, I'm. I, yeah. So give someone a mic. This is like my product of the year. Like I swear to God, if this doesn't completely fail, then I'm voting this product of the year right now. <laughs> yeah, you gotta play with the audio. Um, uh, the app you can get now because uh, the IXY mic we'll talk about in a minute is out uh, is out now and hard to get but out now so the app is available free and or for the paid version and you can just it will work with just the microphone in the iPhone or will work with the micro, the iPhone headset I think and it adjusts its input levels and it adjusts its the hardware side of things to suit that the app actually checks what it's being plugged into it and then configures itself to that but you can do WAVs AAC Apple Lossless AIFF Really high high um, recording uh, recording qualities, and as say, and then set your FTP settings, and boom, it's it's done. It's a terrific app, and the the mic makes sense because the app you plug into it uh, is really um, powerful and simple and easy. So put your phone in flight mode, put it in your pocket, record, you're done, and then. You know, then you can email someone the file when you're finished, and as you say, you you, you know your phone's going to be charged. You know you're going to bring it all. You know, there's only two things to remember, and uh, apart from your iPhone going flat, 
you're uh, you're good to go. It's very very clever and yeah, real cheap. Yeah, they're out in a couple of weeks. I think they're starting to ship in about bucks. two weeks. But let's go back to the other thing because that that other thing that I do, which is I pull out my iPhone and sit it on the desk if I'm trying to do a interview with someone, so I don't have to like scribble notes because I don't do shorthand or anything. Um, so I've used the mic in the in the uh, micro thing. It's pretty good actually. I mean, like I've stuck it in my pocket. Um, upside down when I'm talking to somebody in a quiet space and I yeah. can I can kind of hear it backed enough to transcribe it. Yeah, it's not it. bad. You know, it's not, you know, it's the not mic bad. is not bad. The, the iPhone headset is not bad as, as, as a mic. They, they work fine. Um, but, but you're talking about the IXY, yeah. which is that Rode's other mic. I forgot to mention this last uh, last episode because it was out, uh, released, released a few weeks ago. Now, so this is a hardware solution. A lot of people have things that just plug into the little earphone socket, and they work fine. But this goes into the, unfortunately, already now outdated, uh, the iPhone dock or the iPod or iPad dock, and is a hardware uses its own dedicated analog to digital converters and doesn't go through it doesn't go through apart from the analog part of the actual microphone there's no sort of analog path to this and it's the only i think hardware and and software combo that lets you do full um 96k 24-bit 96k recording um that's its sort of beginning claim to fame but again it's also but this is a beautiful I meant to give it to you last time I was there, Mike, and show it to you. The the build quality of this thing is utterly beautiful. Steve Jobs would look at this and just go, "This is this is yes, uh, please make please make this." It's it's beautifully made. It's an awesome piece of carved out of beautiful beautiful metal. Um, the only thing I'm worried, the worried about the microphones are very nice. I've got an iPhone five. Does it, is there a five? Yes, this coming? is the issue. The, the issue at the moment, obviously, this was all designed before Apple keeps its fucking secrets and and just shafts everybody. Um, <laughs> you know, anybody who's doing any sort of th- hardware thing to do with iPhones is now going to be t- three times as gun shy as they were before about designing anything. Um, I've I've used it with I have an iPhone five too and I use the Lightning to um, yeah uh, whatever dock connector adapter and it works fine slightly sort of flimsier but um, there is an iPhone five version in the works uh, coming you know in the next few months or so but um, in the meantime this is good for for four S. Uh, iPad first, second, and third generation, and as I say, we'll work with the iPhone five with the adapter or any of the. I guess those little ex- extender cables, but but um, quality road um, half inch cardioid uh, capsules. It's designed in the X Y pattern, so that if you're holding that phone, iPhone naturally to do an interview, you can actually do that sort of little bit of handover from from interviewer to subject, or as you say, just sit it on a desk, uh, sit it on the desk, and it will will point in a couple of directions. One nice thing about this and this is really um why it it uh it, you can tell it comes from road is we haven't discussed this right the way it's rigged on that four i can plug headphones in my headphone jack so i can actually be monitoring the audio while recording yes or the five with the adapter you still get the headphone socket in there as well exactly yeah so you can monitor it and again this is not doing just ma- automatic uh, audio recording you can set you can set um, manual audio levels, and even in the loudest, a little bit of the problem, if you've ever recorded a concert, Mike, and I'm sure you have, you go to a few with your iPhone, it's really quite easy to get quite distorted sound just using the 
regular uh, mic at a, at a large, loud, live concert. But this this thing is designed to cope with that stuff beautifully and give you a beautiful stereo stereo imaging and to allow even in the loudest uh, situations to adjust the manual audio level to get to get it just right. Because it has that that hardware link, it's not going through a little mic socket. It's the A to D converters and everything are all you know working 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 via hardware. Can I say I'm just like a little bit proud of? Um, uh, hang on, is this? Yeah, they're both made by Rode, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. That's why I've sort of you know I'm I'm been happy to uh, be involved with them and to you know work with them and, and do projects. I really really love what what they're doing and they're really improving their gear and really clever and thinking little stuff you know sensible stuff like this. And they're also bringing out you know big stuff as well. Bring out sort of you know very serious. The NTG three is a beautiful shotgun mic. If you haven't used that, if you've used any of the other like NTG two or any other Sony shotgun guns or yeah as an, on, a, as an on-camera mic the ntg3 is beautiful and I, great I do have a rather good sennheiser shotgun which i like but i've yes. got to tell you and and i and i was gonna say a little proud about this but one of the things i have been using for a long time now is their mics like in fact the mic i'm speaking to you now which is the mic i've got set up at home which is the podcaster Right. Um, okay. The, yeah. I forgot. That's right. You got a podcaster at home, and you got the Procaster at, at, at the office. work. Yeah. And I, yeah. those are the mics I use. I mean, that, and now you, you know, it's a pretty personal thing what mic you you use. But the reason that I'm and I, I'm, this is not <laughs> this is nothing. I'm, I'm not paid by Rode. I'm just saying this. Um, the reason I like the Rode Podcaster, apart from the fact that I just like how it sounds, is that the Podcaster which I use at home, I plug my headphones into the microphone. So right now I'm listening to this with my headphone jack into the mic. And that has a separate volume control for my headphones. Uh, so I've got like an entire little studio thing here. Now yes, at the office, I think I might have to get one of those. Mine here is a little bit more complicated and a little bit fiddly and always five things to plug in and make sure that... No, yeah, I, I literally just got one USB plug. That, and this just sits on my desk in my office at home. I plug the USB into my laptop, game over, that's all I have to do. Now at the office, yeah. I actually have proper uh, mixer thing with level, limiter and everything else. And you know what? That's great when I'm at work, but I don't want to have to go into work. I want to have something at home. And quite frankly, my wife doesn't want me to have like a ton of audio gear sort of cluttering up the office. And yeah. this is just, I've got a, a desk mounted. This is the minimal rig, I guess. I've got a desk mounted Manfrotto um, little tripody thing. And it has a proper, uh, what do you call it? You know, the inertia dampener mic holder. The thing that yeah. lets the mic bounce around and not here when I'm bouncing the table with my fingers. Shock mount. Shock mount. There you go. Thank you. So the shock mount holds the the um the road it's obviously built for it um and then there's this one usb cable that goes to my laptop that's it and that's the whole yeah. kit and also it's if like i'm going on the road phones into the into the mic yeah and if i'm going on the road and i need to do podcasts while traveling from hotel rooms and stuff this is what i throw in my suitcase because it's it's uh it's superb and so as i say this new road stuff is great but um uh, i've been using this stuff now for years and uh and as I say, I know independently that, Jason, you know those guys pretty well now. I don't know any of them. I just like their gear. Yeah, I'd love them to work out some kind of, I guess, because there's never really been a really good USB headset. You know, we've both all probably used a few of those over the years of, of the history of podcasting. Like a sports casting kind yeah, of the, thing with yeah, the Yeah, I mean, you've seen yeah. me mucking around with a few of those and none of them have ever been right and little cheapy kind of Logitech ones really suck. But, you know, I think 
road, please make some kind of USB or some sort of lightning dock plug into the iPad so you could podcast straight from the iPad but have a beautiful, their little, tiny little, ultra-thin little headset I've got. That is really nice, but it goes to an XLR or to a uh, Zenheiser 3.5 or whatever, but it would be great to somehow leverage some of this beautiful um, A to D converters and stuff they've got here with the IXY or with the the lav mic, and to be able to have a beautiful sounding headset with a little maybe ear, or the ability to still plug in my earpiece for for doing Skype, and to record, um, you know, record for 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 podcasting, so I don't have to get the laptop, my um, my tube uh, powered. USB mic interface and my microphone and my XLR cable and the plug pack to plug in the USB interface and all that sort of stuff. It'd be really nice to do something for on the road because I know a few people have been asking. I know you've 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 made had inquiries and I know a few other people and John Montgomery's been asking. So yeah, we really there's not quite the solution yet for a little headset, something simple light headset thing where you can still plug an earphone in. The the smart lab would be great and the iPad you can plug it straight in but then you don't have the ability to listen to the other side of say a Skype conversation or monitor your audio back. Yeah, there's a couple of things there though. Um so I firstly we can, this is the audio episode. Firstly, um I did get a kit recently for uh, a friend and so we got the iRig so the iRig is... Uh, oh, yeah, I did worry about that. That's probably one of the better, probably potentially one of the, the better solutions. So just to, Was it? just to walk through that, the iRig is a little tiny box about the size of like two matchbox. And what happens is it's uh, like a preamp, I guess, whatever, for a uh, iPhone or, or for that matter, Android. So you plug into it and then it plugs into your um, laptop or your iPhone or your whatever. And so that solves yeah. uh, that kind of problem, that, but not you know completely. But it certainly gets you a long way, um, get long way there. And then for the headset um, that goes with that, I went for the uh, AKG C five twenty. But I agree with you. I would I, and the reason for that is that you can still then use your normal headphones, and you've got this as a separate mic on the side of your head. Now the reason I do that is I don't like the big cans that go over your ears and i'm really worried about leakage from the audio from my headphones into the mic and mm. so i actually have in-ear so i use the um at a, was it so i'm gonna say enomotics thanks you the uh hf5 and i've probably had about 10 of these over the time now the problem with them is that i you know invariably the problem like, is that you need 10 of them well i walk away from the desk and just rip my ears out and, and break them <laughs> it's it's yes i have and I, or i lose them or i leave them on planes right. um but yes they aren't as robust as i'd like in other words i can damage them and one ear stops working and i have to throw them out so i will say that i always have at least two pairs uh in case i lose one but yeah, so I, I they're like a hundred bucks. They're not cheap, but they go in ear. I find them very comfortable, and I don't find the over the ear things comfortable. And if it's hot, I don't like the kind of just having stuff around my head. I don't mind around the ear. The, there's the circuit. There's supraoral, which is, sits on your ear, and there's circumoral, which goes ar- ar- over your ear, not crushing your ear back onto your head. So did you get the iRig Pre, or what were you, you mm-hmm. connecting via XLR then? Yep. Was you? Cause yeah. That will let you, that put, goes into the earphone socket of the uh, of an iPad or iPhone, and then yeah. gives you an XLR plug, and then also a separate 
earphone monitoring yep. point. Okay. And so that's and what that, that setup is. So it's a little cluttering. It's a very cheap, very you, cheap thing. Yeah, well, we're talking 30 bucks for an iRig, I'm saying. Yeah. I'm talking off like Amazon now. Yep. And then it was about 200 bucks for the uh, AKG professional kind of uh, over-your-ear. Um, I call it a Madonna mic. You know what I mean? Like, um, Yeah. Yeah, they're very good. And um, and then, yeah. And, of course, uh, I don't use that because I'm using these... Um, these podcaster mics, the Rode ones that I spoke before. The only time I use those ones that go the, the Madonna type things is when I'm demoing on gear and I want to be swinging my head around a lot and I'm worried about going off mic. Like when I'm talking to you, I don't, yeah. I don't do anything else. But if I'm demoing and working with gear, um, I use my left hand for doing hotkeys, my right hand for working the tablet. And I, yeah, I, I, I you're just, looking at keyboard, you're looking yeah. at monitor, you're looking yeah. at your UI and you're moving your head all around all the place and then you go really go off mic. You know, what I, really you, know what I, you know what I bought the other day as well, speaking about gear? I bought the um, Cineskates, the camera dolly wheels for the Gorilla iPod. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I think that was like a Kickstarter thing or It something. was a Kickstarter so thing, and I bought them as a... skate wheels to go on the Gorilla, the Gorilla Pod? Is that what it is? Yeah, the, on DSL, the Gorilla Pod. The SLR, I think, which is the really big metal... Metal one, yeah. Because I bought got. these as a birthday, you know, Christmas present for John Montgomery, and when I had them momentarily before I gave them to him, I was like, oh, they're really well made. And uh, I was looking for a slider. I remember I emailed you like a couple of weeks ago. I was looking for a slider yeah. on the desktop so I could have yeah. an SLR and I could just uh, use the tabletop as – because one of my problems is packing sliders. Big sliders just don't fit in my suitcase and they're heavy and I don't need them very often. And I thought if I just had something on the desk, then couldn't I just use a desk in an office or in a hotel room as a kind of a little thing to do a bit of a slider thing on? And so I was looking at a proper – um, sort of triangular slider base and they were still going to be quite difficult to pack and I was asking about it and I saw one that was used by the team that does the Hollywood Reporter um, actor, actress uh, round tables which by the way is a terrific series by Hollywood Reporter I love that magazine and the work that they do and they had a This a is rig- a video series? Yeah, a video series and there was you know the whole thing with the actresses that went for like uh, 40 minutes okay. it was really good they got really... I was researching the Lincoln piece that we're going to get to later in this show. And Sally Field was talking about her experiences. And I just noticed they had these really nice little kind of creeps across. And I was thinking, how are they doing that? And then I yeah, saw them just at the very beginning the of the app. It's got one of those, you know, flashy, literally like MTV flash cut, blah, blah, blah. So in the middle of that, there's like four frames where they show the whole room. Right. And you can see the slider in the front. Well, of course, they're just doing it on a desk. That's what I was thinking. And um, But then it occurred to me that, Packing this triangular rig thing, which would have the same problem as the slider in the first place, which is it's bulky in my suitcase. And I remembered the cine skates that I'd given John. And the other thing that I thought about it is the gorilla is going to get me up higher. It's going to actually lift the SLR off the desk a bit more. And that could be quite useful to get a little bit of height. Um, but uh, yeah, I think from memory, it's, it's, it's okay at supporting its own weight isn't it you probably can't put much on it like a skater dolly you can probably put a little bit more on you could almost put an epic on if you wanted to strip down but uh any of that like that see i'm not looking for these i've got a i've got a really good slider that that i can use in the studio with the epic not a problem yeah i'm just not taking that on the road with me what i'm looking for is the on the road thing because i'm going to gdc i'm going to nab i'm going to a bunch of trade shows coming up well we have a solution for you mike if you you do (laughs) yes the um, uh, in fact, they've just actually brought out a couple of different sizes today. The um, Edelkrone, which I'm sure you know, Mike, makes sort of pretty quirky, weird ass kind of stuff. 
pretty weird kind of shoulder rig. Are you serious? Because I just bought this stuff. other thing. What is this? Yeah. What, what, what have you the got slider found? Plus, the Slider Plus is, and the Slider Plus XL are two new sliders. I mean, they're not as compact as, say, having like a, a good skater dolly, um, but they these are more designed like the traditional slider that you could put them on top of your tripod, say. Oh, bugger. So I didn't what, know these were. What is good about, mate, what, what is very travel-friendly about them is they use this kind of... I've been trying to struggling to work out to to how to um, describe the engineering method, but you know, like the kind of block and tackle way method where you kind of have twice as much root to to move move half as half as much travel. It's kind of the reverse of that, where they use essentially a uh, a rod length of say four hundred mil long rods to be able to travel eight hundred mil. So you know, half a meter, half a meter wide slider will give you a meter of travel. So you, oh, most most. So sliders, the slider moves. Okay, so it's attached to the tripod, and not only is the camera yeah. moving on the slider, but the slider's moving on the tripod. Again, you're going to have to see the video of these things working. You go. I've seen. I saw. I saw the slide. This slider plus thing. Oh wow, Edelcrone's new slider thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that go past on a million blogs and didn't even bother to click on it. And then I looked at the video once and, and I went. Ah, I get it. So, yes, the clever thing is that one of the clever things, apart from the fact that it's easy to put in a backpack or easier to travel with, because I think last time when I went off to do the doco in North Carolina and had to get a slider, the slider I had was just too big, just fucking too big by about an inch to fit Didn't in my suitcase. suitcase. Yeah, I know. And so I built this, um, I got like plumbing pipe and made this nice sort of travel case. It took me ages to make a little case to put the slider in to travel with. And then I think uh, when I got to the, even though that, yeah, I mean, plumbing pipe, industrial plumbing pipe, right? You have to really like dry over that stuff to be able to kill it okay but it still ended up at the other end um you know cracked and almost broken and like the slider was okay but, um, <laughs> because it went is... through american customs and homeland security <laughs> who you know how do you break this thing seriously plumbers are probably going what is it all ET? the plumbers that well, are listening that, now are probably ETS? going you're kidding what's it what's called that? the the thing that opens up your suitcase and wrecks stuff it's et no what is it it's tsa the, what fucking tsa tsa Splitters. TSA. Fucking TSA. God, um, my bag's always really neatly packed, and then voila, oh, it's destroyed. Fuck. Don't get me started. I've already ranted on this show about these guys. TS, I can't stand bloody it. Bloody um, uh, That should so, be like the test, right? Is this gear professional? We sent it through TSA, and it came out the other side. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> wow, I'm buying it. <laughs> this concrete block. <laughs> um, <laughs> that concrete block would not survive TSA out of LAX. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should get that hand. You uh, might be smuggling concrete inside this concrete. <laughs> <laughs> Got these concrete railway sleepers, but we really need them. Uh, you know, we know in three pieces. involved, so we're going to need to have them hand inspected, please. Yes, I need this diamond cracked in half. Do you mind putting it through TSA for a second? Um, hey, uh, yeah, uh, sorry, I, get back just, to this. How much does I'm this thing cost? Uh, for the smaller one, so this, the, the, the Slider Plus and the Slider Plus XL, the Slider Plus uh, turns 260 mil of travel into 521, that plus XL. Gives is three hundred and ninety-five mil of travel, but gives you uh, seven ninety of travel. If that makes sense, I'm going to use millimeters because I'm just going to. Okay. The oh, the other clever thing about the slider, um, this kind of design of slider is, I mean, 
I'm getting a bit over the left to right camera moves. So I, I really like sliders if you're going in and out. In and out. Totally, right? I'm with you. But yep. obviously the problem is with sliders tracking in. Is you see so far you can track back out. You're going to see yourself. So as you track back, because the rods contract, you actually get a lot more travel range before you actually start to see the rods because the rods are traveling back with you. Oh, God, I can't believe I just bought these other things. So <laughs> are they heavy, though? Is this going to get... An- mm, good question. What's the weight of it? Let me Google that for you. You don't have one of these, do you? No, I don't. I don't actually. No, I only just literally... Do you know anyone um, there we can suck up to? Because that sounds really good. I don't know. (laughs) I do not know. Please send me an email. I'll the buy now button and tell you. Um, But yeah, clever. I mean, a lot of their stuff is fairly... There's definitely people that sort of uh, think outside the square. Uh, uh, Not necessarily their stuff hasn't really... um, piqued my interest up until up until now uh you, you actually i've just see. been watching this video you have got to watch this video i'm sorry i'm just playing this video right now as we speak it's like exactly yeah. what you want yeah it's clever oh the other thing is that because it's got a belt drive and it's actually almost it's designed for uh which is still being developed but they're make, working on a motorized little block to go on the end because there's a gear uh, there's a gear exposed at one end of it, ready and waiting for the time-lapse stroke motorized um, add-on module. So this would be, uh, you know, at least has some, some forward. Um, uh, can I just say the guy that made the thinking. demo training video really ought to know how to light so you don't get your own shadow across the desktop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, designers, not shooters. Data sheet, here we go. Data how much sheet. is it weight? Weight, 1.7 kilos. 1.7 kilo. That's not too light. That's not too not too bad. These things are fairly, you know, not yeah. You know, it's a not, it's a thing not, though, isn't it? Because you want it to be lightweight, but you need it to not wobble. Oh, you need it to be. Because the other thing about them is that uh, they flex. So you put them on the top. You need a good sturdy tripod to put these things on. Because then, if you slide way up to the other end, um, you know, you can have uh, a lot of flex, and you'll see it. And and I've. The one I've got is really just roller bearings on 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 rods, and the slightest little you know you are down to the movement of your hand and how well you can, uh, how easy and smoothly you can you can you can slide it, and any sort of speed up or slow down, you immediately, no matter what size lens on, I see it every time. But this this one has a gear belt. It doesn't have a crank handle, but uh, has at least a gear belt. So I think that's going to be certainly helping take out, uh, adding some some damping and adding to some sort of momentum of the travel. Because so on my I think slider, that's going to help smooth things yeah, out a bit. On yeah, my you've slider, got, uh, one of the uh, Kessler ones. Yeah, and I yeah, have my thumb on the round rotating wheel, yeah. so I give myself resistance. And the other thing I've done is I put rubber bands around. So this is, I would work on this as well. You put a bunch of rubber bands around the unit that is the camera. That makes sense? Yeah. And right. now you go 90 degrees to the slider. So if you pull the rubber bands, it doesn't go anywhere, right? Because you're at 90 degrees to the axis of the travel. Yeah. But now as you turn to become parallel over the top of the sliders, but you, you know, in other words, if you were imagining a clock and the slider was going so between nine and three. Towards the end of the track. Yeah. It go around to the end of the track. It starts to 
move the slider. But of course, the rubber band acts as literally like a shock absorber. And so you get this kind of, you can even it out. But when you come to stop it, same thing, you just bring your hand back around towards your own body, and it just eases and feathers out the, the stop. It's a great trick. I mean, I'm talking about those big yeah. mother rubber bands, not like crappy little ones yeah. you have in an office. And there is some natural damping going on, though, by just the sheer fact that you have a tooth belt and you have a handle and you have a mass and you have momentum of all of that stuff as well that all helps and then this has to some degree has 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 some of that in there so i'm sure that all helps anyway hey very um, impressive i want to play you some of that stuff from uh the interview that i did on the oscars because we're running out of time and i'm going to have to go in a bit and i want to not miss it um because uh as on the vfx i don't know if you've looked at the oscar rundown if you've looked at the who's going to win this year but i've i've yeah i've cursorily i haven't really gone too in depth with it yeah i've got to say that that, uh skyfall is a personal film i'd like to see win yeah um but i don't i don't know the running but yas kaminsky could win because uh a lincoln is a beautifully shot film and also uh he's a respected dop and this amazing um relationship with spielberg alone is something to be worth mentioning. I mean, the fact that he shot every Spielberg film uh, for years and years, right back since um, Schindler's List, is just extraordinary. Yeah. And he, he is a very interesting uh, DOP and does really interesting um, sort of fairly natural lighting, though can be stagey. But it's the variety of work. I mean, if you think about what he did in... Um, you know, Minority Report, and yeah, compare that to AI is just stunning, and and then compare yeah. that with Lincoln, and uh, yeah. and then Warhorse and stuff, yeah. and uh, but I, I guess some in stuff in Warhorse I'm not a fan of, but well I'll come back to that in sequences one. there which are just outstanding. So yes, he's a, a real breadth of styles. Well, on that note, why don't I play you what he said okay. when I asked him about the comparison? between Lincoln and Warhorse, Because for my money, Jace, Lincoln is a little bit... Well, he said him himself. It's a bit like a play in the sense he set up the camera that allowed the actors to act in front of. And certainly there was a theatricalness, I felt, to Warhorse. It was quite um, uh, sort of... I, I felt, and obviously it come from a play, maybe that influenced my thinking, but it just, you know, it wasn't 100% sort of gritty realism by any stretch yeah. of imagination. And I asked him whether he learnt any lessons from Warhorse that he took on to Lincoln. Here's his response. No, I don't really think there's a um, any relation between between these two movies. You know, I think they're almost opposite from each other. You know, where where you know, the Warhorse was very much of an exterior movie driven by by a little bit of action and and was primarily uh, uh, for family oriented uh, audience. Where this one, obviously, is for mature audience and. And very little action and mostly interior movie, um, and I think to some degree, you know, the, the Warhorse was was theatrical in a in a way that we we made a movie which is felt felt kind of an old fashioned homage to not necessary country and just homage to other movies, but but followed the other movies kind of a legacy of the other movies, and this one is really almost like filming a play which takes place in. In 1860, but but to some degree has to be relevant to again what I spoke about earlier, which is the uh, current situation of the nation, you know. And you know we didn't want to go too much for for a, uh, a period look, although obviously it is a movie that takes place during that time because of the costumes and settings and all that. But but it doesn't feel dated 
like it would be if, if we really use the full spectrum of color and and to attract you attract and becoming making it more theatrical in terms of performance. So I think there's lots of differences between the two movies. And Jace, I tell you the other thing that I should have actually maybe played even before that. Bef- I I um I think it's great that Lincoln was just a success as a film. Uh, because, um, in fact, I actually started by um, asking that because I haven't seen it yet because it's not out here yet. Yes, well, you just, just need the joy to get, of the Academy Awards season here, where half the freaking films being nominated on every award show we haven't seen here yet. Yes, but you, then you get press screenings and then you go to those and you get to see what's going on. Some people do, yes. Or you get the Academy just to send you the DVDs, which is awfully nice of them, and we appreciate that. Yes, much, I keep, yes, I keep chasing that up somehow. Um, so listen, uh, the thing that uh, is interesting is in an age when people are saying, hey, you know, they're just all making things for the multiplex and it's all about 16-year-old boys and it's all about blowing stuff up. This isn't a film like that. And like that, it found an audience. It uh, is successful. It's a really very wordy piece, more uh, so than maybe many of uh, Spielberg's other films in recent mm. times. And, and you know, anyway, so I, I put it to uh, Giannis that it was great that this film was a success, given that it was, you know, obviously made for an adult audience. You know, usually the box office is an indication of people seeing the movie, but in this case, the box office really reflects kind of a very serious um, interest in that type of a movie. And I think it reflects the, the, the kind of, I think, intellectual level of, of American viewer. It reflects the desire of American viewer to, to see the history, but also the movie relates to what's happening right now, where, where the country is very much divided politically and, and definitely ideologically, and, and the call for un- unity is really important. So people are hungry for, for movies of substance, and that's very good. Now, I haven't seen it, but obviously it's a period look. I, from memory, he... I think I read in the, in the AC, AC um, article he went a bit old school with the glass, right? Would you go for super speeds? Yeah, he did. Yeah, I spoke to him about that. I also spoke to him about the move from, uh, from analog to digital. It's funny because he was, you know, basically like, well, digital's coming and it's not going to be as good. Um, but this... Of course. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Of course. Of course he would. Uh, and Spielberg's very old school on film. Like, he was, you know, film editing... Um, and and look, I don't think these guys are pathologically uh, against technology. I think it's just that they like the look. Um, but yeah. certainly, uh, yeah, I did anyway ask him about shooting on the uh, Zeiss Super Speeds because you and I talked about this before the interview, and I thought it was interesting because you know obviously someone at his level can shoot on any bloody lens he wants, and um, yeah, that's what he chose. And here is yeah, interesting because you know Super Speeds uh, are pretty old technology and uh, very. You know, prone to flaring and or, um, I guess, optical anomalies and sort of milking out and not necessarily beautiful flares, but they certainly do catch a lot of light and throw it around a bit and mess the image up a little bit and aren't always that sort of sharp. I'm sure he's not shooting at 1.3 all the time, but they certainly are a bit more uh, of an old school look. And um, so I guess that's what he was going for. I like the old, I like the older lenses because they're slightly softer, and and uh, for this particular movie, this was a right choice. You know, I think the modern lenses are a little bit too too sharp, too contrasting, and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, this is a period drama, so it lends itself to being shot on film because it it certainly has a, a an appropriate character. But right. But there has been a large move towards digital. Has that posed any difficulties in terms of 
even processing or, or dealing with the workflow or is there just that much film gear around that it's presented no problem to continue to work the way you want to? Well, I think, you know, for very practical reasons, film is disappearing. You know, you just, there'll be no film within the next few years. As, as you know, Fuji went out of business, you know, the, the, the need for the prints, uh, for the chemical print is disappearing, you know, so it's 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 a thing that's going to die. Although we still make, you know, I would say probably 50% of major motion pictures on, on film um, because the love of the directors and, and DPs towards film is just uh, tremendously, tremendous, you know, but, you know, it will disappear. It's still better. It will never be, it will never be a, a, a secondary in terms of ability to, to, to carry the information, it's way superior than digital. But reality is, it's disappearing, and we're going to have to deal with with the, the the reality of having digital cameras, which are getting better and so forth. But definitely, it's a different aesthetic, different storytelling. And as the directors becoming younger, a certain legacy of motion picture, the actual negative will disappear, and stuff will be inconsequential. Whether it's film or digital, will be just digital. So you know, it's it's becoming slightly more difficult to do to do uh, films simply because the entire industry is geared towards digital. But so we just shoot negative, digitize the negatives, do all the post production, and strike a print for the for the chemical print for for uh, non American markets. You know, but you know, it's like it's the reality is it's going away, and the reality is it's better, but it's going away. So, Jace, the thing about a film like this is that uh, it's some of it's on location, some of it's uh, in the studio. The Oval Office, most of a lot of stuff happens in the Oval Office. That was a set with a big translight outside, which was kind of interesting. And um, and the translight uh, had its own problems, um, not least of which is you know they couldn't maybe get it back as far as they wanted. But the other thing about it is the height of the. Uh, and I'm just setting this up because I asked him about the comparison between shooting in that set piece, which was the Oval Office, and shooting. Uh, on location at the Virginia State Building, which doubled for the for the American um, uh, what House of Representatives, I guess. Um, and right, a set versus uh, um, so the a, Virginia State Building a, is is location, Oval Office is a set, but the it was in an old uh, factory, and they couldn't get the height of the actual internal ceiling to be what you would have on a soundstage. So he was lighting. Um, Doing that up now, he doesn't discuss this in the in the in the, his answer, but I know about it from that American cinematographer article you were talking about. Um, so he got a bunch of um, lights kind of broken apart and re sort of set up so that he could have um, the lights that he wanted shooting over the top. So uh, for those of you that are into this kind of stuff, um, so basically that the he's got dinos on the trans light, and then he got the, normally these big pods that hold ten or twelve um, dinos, and he they go in these kind of four. Dino's um, par 64, so that's about 1,000 watts each. And he, mm. so he split those up so you basically could get over the top of the translite but under the height of the ceiling with these 1,000-watt um, par 64s. And, and those are basically like a floodlight to try and get all that sun coming in over the top of the translite uh, to get down. But interestingly, the other way around, and what I was hoping he'd bite on, but he didn't really in the interview, is that he had these big windows at the Virginia State Building, which uh, meant there was a lot of natural light coming in. But, of course, you can't really control natural light the way you kind of want. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it gets a little uh, difficult. So he actually had eight condors outside with uh, two 18K HMI Fesnels coming through. And um, 
But it was a historical structure, obviously, the Virginia State Building. They couldn't, and this is a direct quote from, um, from the American Central Rifles, they couldn't even move the chairs or have them removed. And they had to be very, very careful with everything. So everything had to be shot on a remote oh my head. Oh, God. Yeah, exactly. So they've got this remote head on a crane skimming over the to top. Just to get around the room. Just to be able to get around, everything. exactly, yeah. And the other thing that was interesting, um, and again, uh, I was speaking to Jan, he's on set, so that's why this is a fairly limited interview. Um, he was using these Luma panels for... Um, for lighting now, uh, I don't know if you've shot with the limit panels, but they're basically like giant Kinoflow banks. So he had a quarter grid cloth over those, and he was shooting around two eight T four most of the time. And that's that huge effect you get from having um, this massive panel, which is basically like getting a four K HMI and bouncing it off a huge piece of foam core. Right. Um, yeah. But you know without I mean? all the crap in the stands and all of the, you know, in the back. That's the point, the... yeah. No, you're exactly right. Because we've done this in the DOP course. Actually, it's coming up in a couple of weeks. We did um, uh, what's called book lighting, where we get a huge light, bung it into a uh, poly, and then go back through a scrim to the actress. And you get this lovely light that just wraps around them. And it is absolutely gorgeous. If you're doing the DOP course, this is something to really watch out for. But the trouble oh, is... yeah, cool. It's... I'm very keen to see this because these are like a wall of... This is like a um, Kinoflow wall of light, but just much bigger. I think it's... I don't know. It's like 30 tubes or something crazy or... Uh, it's not, I think, that many, 20? but it's quite a lot, yeah. And, yeah, uh, 20 it's, tubes or something. But it doesn't have much depth. So this is the thing about being able to use it in these environments is that he doesn't have to build back. Because if you're on a soundstage, and he, I think he says this, he can take out panels of the Oval Office, it was good, but still... Once you get to the Virginia yeah. State Building and you want to have this light wrapping around people, you just can't do it. Um, but these, uh, I think if you just look up Luma Panel, I think he was using the Luma Panel Ultras, but if you look them up, you can see them. They're really Luma quite thin. Com. Yeah. And, uh, and they're really, really good. Um, and, uh, yeah, so anyway, yeah. I asked him about uh, the differences between working on the set and working at the uh, Virginia State Building, and his answer kind of surprised me. Well, I mean, it always has ceilings, you know, and... And uh, we always try to include the ceiling within the frame. The moment the ceiling is not included, you know, you, you, you pump the lights to there. Um, you know, there's really no difference between, for me, on this level of filmmaking, to shoot on the stage or to shoot on the existing location. Uh, the limitations are really, you know, the limitations of shooting on the existing, an existing building come from not having enough windows, but, you know, you, you pump the light to the windows, you know, so I like both, you know, I think for the Oval Office, it was really nice to be able to have a set where you have freedom to remove the walls if you needed to, obviously, if we shot this in existing, if the White House was, was if the White House would allow us to shoot, <laughs> they would be limited by, by various restrictions, so it was logical to do that, shooting at the Virginia State Building had its own limitations, but not to the extent that would really uh, prevent me from doing my work, you know. Um, and I like shooting on existing locations, you know, because sometimes the limitations you get allows you to be more innovative and, and, and stuff like that, you know. Um, and often when I do sets, when I do work on on, exist, on, on sets, when we build sets, I try to imagine what, what would it be like from an actual location, because I like to imagine what the limitations would have been so I can create this world that, that's supposed to feel real, on a, on a set, but yet if you if you have all the freedom, then things occasionally start looking artificial. So I use the logical uh, approach towards lighting sets just if they were existing locations, you know. So if not, if I'm not able to to put the light from the top 
on the existing location. Why would I want to do that on the movie set? You know? So the last uh, thing I wanted to, to give you, Jace, to have a listen to which and, and everyone to enjoy is the response. I was hoping, and Jason came up with this terrific question if you asked when we were just, um, I think, eye-chatting before I got on the line, which was his process with Steven Spielberg. <laughs> Unfortunately, Giannis decided it was too long a um, sort of uh, either too long a question or the too question complex, was much <laughs> too interesting to answer fully. But it was yeah. after what his process was like because, uh, as we've discussed, you know, it's nice when you first get on set um, if you've got dramatic pieces to have the actors walk the space with the DOP, maybe only the director there. But uh, you brought up, I think, a great piece uh, or a bit great question which was this idea of how does Steven Spielberg work with the camera operator and was Giannis just working as a lighting DOP or as a camera operator? Yeah, and, yeah. Which is fascinating because I have seen photos of Spielberg with his eye up to the lens and I never knew whether he was operating, just having a look through, whether it was a PR shot just for the hell of it. I've seen uh, him shooting. I've definitely seen him operating. I mean, uh, I actually recently just got the Blu-ray, I think, of Jurassic Park, which was awesome. And, uh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff. I've been seeing him operating and, and, and blocking stuff through, you know, working on the wheels. And, uh, yeah, so I was interested to see how he worked, you know, is he, is he blocking the shot to, to his eye or working with a, a, an operator? And, and is Janusz working with the operator and, 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 and blocking the shot and then doing a handover? Or is he purely just waiting for a decision between Steve and operator while he goes off and, and, and gets, gets the lighting right and just watching it on the monitor? Yeah, I should point out that he's had the same operator for a really long time uh, that works with him. I think, uh, well, I, mean, I, I can look it up, but I, I've forgotten the, the operator's name, but he's been uh, the same operator for, uh, um, it's Mitch. Uh, Mitch, Mitch Dubin, Dubin. That's it, yep. Right, and okay, cool. And he's been working with him for a really long time, as has the, um, his uh, main uh, gaffer, David Devlin. Though. So, I've got to say, gaffer and grip definitions in Australia are different than those in the US, as I found out recently when I was shooting in the States. Uh, but notwithstanding that, uh, let's have a listen to his answer. I think it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a longer conversation and not than, than this. You know, and it varies from movies to movie, from story to story, from the from the circumstances. You know, it's it's very. There is no set rules. You know, uh, for example, uh, on some movies we would do really uh, extensive blacking with actors. Other movies we would black with the with the second team and just uh, showed the blocking to the actors. On, on Lincoln, uh, we would kind of uh, uh, plan what what the president what president would do and hope he would he would do and know and know that most of the time he's going to sit at the desk or sit at the table and and we knew that's going to happen. Not many rehearsals because uh, Stephen wanted to keep keep it fresh. You know he didn't want to exploit uh, the mystery of making this movie. So, you know, again, it varies from, from movie to movie. Definitely the operator has a very important role. Mitch, you know, works very close with with Steven, but he also works very close with me. Sometimes I will set up shots, you know. Sometimes Steven would set up shots with Mitch, you know, and I'm lighting. You really, there's no, like, set set formula, you know. It really varies from, from movie to movie. Well, I know, yeah, he was pushed for time, but thank you, Alice, for, for taking the time. Next time, I'm sure we'll try and collar you when it's... Uh, you're not He's shooting. not on set. <laughs> yeah, that's just kind of crazy. Who said speaking, yes to that? Yeah, he'll, he'll do it. He'll do it. Yeah. He's shooting. He's only shooting a minute. Nah, look, we appreciate Disney organising, but yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty crazy. Hey, um, speaking about talking about people on set, I was shooting, I think I said earlier, with uh, Ben 
Alan, and I got into this uh, really interesting discussion when we were resetting between takes about light meters because Ben kept on pulling out his light meter and he basically uh, said that had been a, for him, he had this big resurgence of using a light meter. Anyway, we started having this discussion and we were both mic'd up because we were between takes and I said, hey, look, while the guys are just doing stuff, let's just hit the record button and have a chat because... I thought you'd enjoy um, listening to this, but mm. be, just to set it up for a second, I I have a light meter I, from my green screen days in particular, and uh, I think I spoke on the show when I started using it again with the um, with the shooting on film. But what's your position on light meters, Jason? Well, look, I think I guess I'm I'm always looking through one. You know, I can I can see. I can see waveforms, I can see histograms and, uh, you know, through the Epic I've got... I'm, I'm also just very trusting of the monitors that I use. Um, maybe not always rightly so, but uh, I think I, I, I've, I've sold my last light meter about five, four or five years ago and haven't rebought it. I've been tempted with the new touchscreen Siconics, but not uh, so much to actually push the button. I, I'm, I'm just... I guess I'm just... I, I just look through and look at, look at, um, vaguely look at uh, waveforms and histograms. Yeah. So um, my attitude is that I, I, but I it's can difference see... for everyone's style, you know. Yeah. It depends on your shooting style and your schedule and how you work with a gaffer and you know what what sort of what sort of gig you're on. I, I completely respect your process. The thing that you'll hear Ben talking about, which is interesting, is uh, around the nature of the light meter. You are doing spot metering by definition. You have to be spot metering through the lens because you can't do anything but spot metering. He really likes not using uh, spot metering, and so therefore he has to actually get a light meter out to do that. I had a spot meter and went to learn and learnt spot metering because I didn't want to get in the way of the camera department because I wasn't like you, and yeah. and so I was sort of quietly off to the side. And the best way to do that is not to go up an incident meter and walk on set in the middle of them, sort of trying to frame stuff up. It's just to stand quietly it's at the back. Dickhead and, in the shot with a spot yeah, meter. Yeah, so I would you know quietly pull mine out from the side line. So I I, I so now it's just who's that dickhead off to the side with a spot meter? Yes, yeah, thanks. Thanks for that. But uh, incident readings are certainly what Ben tends to do all the time, as, as you'll hear me discussing in this uh, chat, which we recorded on set uh, yesterday. Okay, so hi, Ben. We're here on location shooting some stuff for the DOP course. Yeah. It's been fun this time. I've having It has. Time. It's been good. Okay, so I wanted to talk to you because we were having this thing in between takes and we were just off to the side and uh, I'd like to say we were at uh, craft services having a great time but I think we were just actually <laughs> lugging stuff and we were just mentioning uh, in passing about light meters. Now I've got a love of light meters but there's a period there where I didn't pull it out and I pulled it out a lot recently because I was shooting on film and I was like, oh my God, I need a light meter like badly. <laughs> um, but you made this passing comment that you thought there was a bit of a resurgence of light meters and I was just keen to get your yeah, opinion. Yeah, I think there's... And I, I think the thing that's driving that is is raw recording. Okay. Um, so, you know, with uh, raw recording, there's not the kind of... Uh, the, the limitations of a, a linear um, kind of 8-bit recording has kind of happened with HD and everyone panicked and went, oh my god, we need to be focused on the waveform monitor and the big 24-inch BVM monitor and so on. Um, and the light meters kind of got put aside as not relevant anymore. Um, but I think there's a lot of things that a light meter tells you that, that you can't get from any other source. Well, let me start by saying, what light meter do you use? I use an old uh, Siconic L508 Cine, 
uh, which is a combined incident and spot meter. Right. Uh, so I've, I've got had that two. I've got an incident and a spot. Yeah. But this one is is uh, an electronic one, right? It's not yeah, like a really old right. one. Yeah, that's right. It's um uh, and it, it's just a convenience thing to have the, both in one light meter means we've only got to carry one. Though normally I see that you're doing. Um, incident readings more than I see you doing spot readings. Is that just me perceiving that or is that, that true? That's absolutely true. Um, incident readings are fantastic when you're lighting um, or setting exposure um, because they tell you how much light is falling on the subject, not how much light's getting reflected back off it. Right. Now, a lot of people kind of get confused by that because the camera's seeing the light that's bouncing back off. But the beautiful thing about an incident reading is that um, it's not influenced by the colour of the subject. So if you've got, I mean, the classic example is um, uh, people talk about what level, uh, video level that uh, skin tones should be at. Are you talking about Nicole Kidman or Morgan Freeman? Um, they should be at different levels on the, the video scale. Yeah, and, and I know certainly for my own sake, I don't wear white shirts nor black shirts on set yep. because I want the guys to be able to get a decent reading on my face and having this very large white thing or... Yep falling into nothing black shirt tends to cause it to be irregular and so out of whack with my face when I'm on camera that it just makes life more difficult so I've gone for a kind of a mid-tone blue shirt as my kind of I actually five of them now (laughs) but that's my kind of go-to wardrobe and it sounds weird but it's just a decision that not going to one extreme or the other I'm kind of tonally in the same zone for for light and that's the white shirt and black shirt are a great example because if you took a, a, a spot reading um, on a white shirt, um, then the uh, the spot meter will g- give you an exposure reading that's going to make that white shirt 18% mid-grey on um, which on we the don't recording. Want, really. If you take the same spot reading on the black shirt with the same lighting conditions, it's going to try and make that mid-grey again. So um, it's not going to give you consistent exposures, uh, which is also the the reality of um, any of the the light readings you get from the camera, such as false colour, histogram, um, yeah. waveform monitor, you know, they, they can be great for setting a working exposure in a kind of um, run and gun situation or you know, where the guys here are shooting behind the scenes material. But to get consistent exposure and lighting um, conditions, you want to know how much light is falling on the subject from each each position. It's funny, isn't it? Because if you're shooting like behind the scenes, obviously it's more forgiving. But if we just think for a second about shooting 5D Mark III, which we might do if we were doing something serious but overseas and we're travelling light yep. um, off a trade show, and when we're shooting with the Epic, which of course has like most more latitude than anything else we're shooting with, apart from when we borrow Sony 65s and stuff. Um, it's interesting because the, it's almost always through the, the, the lens that we're judging that, uh, that on the 8-bit camera, but on the Airpick, we actually have a lot more room to fail. Yes, yeah. Ironically. And, and I guess that's also the irony of, of RAW um, bringing the light meters back um, because people think, oh, um, we're, it's, you know, there's no... I mean, you can dial in an ISO rating and work to that and work to that on the monitor and the scopes. Um, but it's not telling you what's being recorded. You're recording a vast amount more information yep. than that. So um, people are going, okay, well, I can use my light meter again and I'll set it to that ISO and work with that. The funny thing about that is because you've got all that latitude and it's so forgiving um, is where you're not in need of that amount of precision. What I've found is where 
light meter incident readings on light meter are fantastically useful um, is when you're shooting with a compressed 8-bit format yeah. uh, because the light meter gives you a level of precision that you can't judge with the naked eye. But when we're talking about RAW for a second, are you really not that focused on the individual f-stop numbers because it's ratios? Because obviously the, the ISO on an Epic at 800 could be 200, could be 1600, depending on yeah. what I put in, in metadata. Yeah. So is it a ratio that you're looking well, at? Well, that's the other head? great thing about um, thinking and working in terms of uh, meter readings and, and f-stops or t-stops is that you are very much working in ratios because f-stops, you know, every f-stop increasing or decreasing is increasing or decreasing by double um, or half. Double yeah. or half. Yep. Um, because of, and there's, uh, I don't know whether it's worth maybe just touching on um, why f-stops work the way they do. It's because of the inverse square law. That, um, and, and the area of the aperture. Yes, yeah. Which is why you get those weird numbers. Yep, yep. <laughs> so it's based on the, the square root of 2, which is 1.4, why it goes 1.42, 2.8, 4.56, etc. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? It's, uh, do you think in third stops or half stops? Well, this meter reads in um, decimals of a stop. Oh, really? Uh, which is... Okay. So when you get to 5.6.2, it gets pretty stupid. <laughs> um, Don McAlpine developed a system of... Uh, he would call out to the crews in terms of, like, 5.6 decimal 2 um, or 2.8 decimal 8. Um, so there so was a confusion mean? about... So that would be... The, the meter was telling him that the exposure was 2.8.8. Um, so it would be it wouldn't be 2.8 it would be 2.8 plus that extra digit or what Yeah so it'll be 2.8 and then 8 tenths of a stop Got it got um, it um, I tend to just look at it and round it to to thirds of a stop or half stops um, Yeah I must admit thirds is as granular as I've ever got really yeah, because I yeah. guess I don't think I'm that good <laughs> I, I don't think I'm if you're talking about tenths of a stop I, I don't think anyone can accurately perceive that. Yeah. Um, which, again, is why the meter is so fantastic, because it's giving you more accurate information than you can see with the naked eye or that you can see on screen. If you change an exposure by a tenth of a stop, it's imperceptible. I think the other huge advantage for me with the light meter, and the reason I actually bought mine in the first place, is I found it very hard to judge contrast ratios on green screen because I've got this big lit-up bloody thing, yeah. but it's so far away from totally the totally throws yeah. your perception. Yeah, so my eye was like seeing a lot of lit-up green screen, which literally was so far away from the actors that it, it was correctly lit. It didn't, it didn't cause them to be lit by the green screen, mm. but my eye couldn't tell that. No. And when they would turn off the lights on the green screen, I'd be like, oh, that's the lighting that we're talking about. Okay. Yeah. And that's uh, another thing that's uh, uh, really useful, again, more so with compressed 8-bit formats where they're less forgiving. Um, that uh, I, I notice a lot of people when they're working off a monitor for exposure in nighttime scenes they'll be underexposing um, because you're in an environment where um, the monitor looks brighter compared to yes. everything else that's around you. In daylight scenes they'll overexpose because it just always looks too dark on the monitor. You know what, we did that this morning. We shot some, oh, yesterday morning we shot some stuff at dawn and uh, when the sun was like shooting right at our faces we just uh, overexposed a bit and it was just literally it's that... It's very, very hard not to. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've found that the, the light meter um, stops you from doing that. Um, you kind of think, oh, is that underexposed? And you take the reading and, you look at it and set it to that and you get back into the colour grade and go, wow, that's bang on. It's true, yeah. Well, as I say, I, I, um, 
I definitely like uh, my spot meter because I guess from that green screen experience, it was very useful to knock it in the way, certainly yep. not walk on set. Being a bit of a, uh, when I first went on set with the light meter, I was a bit embarrassed to be walking over the light meter. I didn't want to pick, <laughs> pick and tickets on myself. So I'd quietly pull it out and I could read my green screen levels well, through the, my foreground. The green screen's a perfect example of where the spot meter is the right tool anyway, I think, because you want to know how much light is bouncing back off that green screen mm. because you want it to be at a particular exposure level, um, whether it's bang on exposure or you want it slightly over or slightly under, depending on your format. The, um, the spot meter is going to tell you exactly what's going to hit the camera. Cool. Well, thanks for having that discussion, man. I appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. Uh, so, um, Epic has new beta software out, uh, which is interesting because uh, we've got in the new version of the software, again, it's only in the beta at the moment, but we have a new version that includes uh, time-lapse and ramp recording and uh, pre-record stuff, as well as a bunch of other stuff that you can do in terms of um, uh, flipping monitors. Have you installed this on your Epic? I have. Yeah, I've had a bit of a play. A bit of a play with the ra- um, ramping is what I first wanted to have a play with, although... Uh, I don't really have any immediate need for it, but I wanted to see how it worked, and it works beautifully, brilliantly. The only obviously thing with 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 ramping is you then need to do exposure compensation, and I'm just trying to. I'm wondering how best to do that. If you're doing it with, say, an ARRI controller, you just hook the controller up to the camera, and you you know you just hit ramp, or, or you or you do it with a dial, and uh, you can hook up a, an iris motor or so to do that. I'm wondering. Which begs the question, if I had my um, shutter exposure time fast enough, mm. uh, would it just ramp without having a problem? See what uh, I mean? Like it's going to ramp to adjust to 180 degree shutter, but what if I didn't set it? What if I set it to a, a very fast, uh, as in, you know, small shutter? So it can well, It's easily- all going to be relative though, isn't it? As it, it's, um, you're going, if you're going from 50 frames to... 12 frames or so or 25 frames to 6 frames or whatever they're still going to be there's, if there's a speed change there's going to be an exposure change unless there's well no no but what I'm saying is but like let's say okay to use that example right let's say I'm at, at a hundredth of a second and yeah. I'm shooting 50 frames a second if it then goes and ramps back to 6 frames a second but still stayed at a hundredth my exposure isn't going to change. So it's right, just if you didn't the, have it relative, you had it... Yeah, I haven't tried that. You see what I mean? Yeah. So You've got the option to do relative or or um, uh, just, yeah, exposure angle or expo- exposure... Hmm. So yeah. what I could... But, but then my argument would then be, why not just do it in bloody post? Because if you haven't changed your um, exposure so as to get a 180-degree shutter, then it's the same as having just run the whole thing at 60 and then in post ramped it to... The effect of six frames a second. Yeah, well, that obviously, from a director, that makes more sense to me just to be able to decide the point of ramping. Um, But um, how smoothly can I do that, though? I mean, how smoothly in post can I do it without seeing that change? You you can't probably know what kind of um, plugins and stuff we're able to play with. Well, but if you're talking about going from 50 down to six, yeah, what you're actually talking about doing is going from slow mo to sped up. True. And in which case, it's going to go really easily. Um, True. If you're going the other way, if you wanted to go from, you know, normal speed to slow-mo, and again, you shot everything slow-mo, in other words, you shot a higher frame rate. So let's say you shot 120 frames a second, Mm. started at normal speed, went to 120. Well, the thing there is the, apart from this issue with the the shutter, is that uh, you're shooting more frames and you're throwing away again, so you're okay. 
The yeah. only time it becomes a problem is if you say, I want to go from 25 to 100 in post, but I'm going to shoot the whole thing at 25. And then it's like, okay, now I have to start generating frames and now it's going to be much more likely to show. Um, any compensation software that's worth its salt should be able to do the throwing away frames and making it look pretty good relatively easily because it has a lot of choice as to what frame to end up on. I guess then you, what you'd have to do then is work to your tightest shutter and then add some motion blur later, I guess, because ideally you want to always work to sort of what, something that vaguely looks like you use the 180 degree. Yeah, which is why the ARRI system that you're describing is yeah. awesome because... It is awesome. They know, how, they know what they are doing. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm not dishing the RED system. I'm simply say, having not played with it. I'm just saying without that yeah. compensation... If I'm on set and I'm standing beside you, I would make a recommendation just because I know that directors, for good reason, want to be able to vary that in post. Yeah. I'd say, hey, let's just shoot a higher frame rate and we'll solve it in post. Yeah. If you had an ARRI system that could do the proper motion, uh, sorry, proper exposure compensation, so we've got some really nice 25 frame or 24 frame a second with a 48 uh, shutter, that ends up going to 120 with a 240 and it all looks perfect then that is, a, that is a look that's much harder to generate in post. Well, not impossible, but harder to generate in post. Yeah. And, uh, and I could start to see why that would be valid. But yeah. I think the time-lapse is more interesting, isn't it? I mean... Uh, well, yeah. Time, I mean, time-lapse, I guess, you can always just go ahead and do it. In a, do it If you want to shoot time-lapse and you want to shoot... It's great to have it all in one camera, but if you're going to have time-lapse, you'd probably just have a 5D and then you're shooting same raw frames. You're shooting at a higher still a high a high um megapixel count so you still got the re- repositionable ability to do moves as you would be with 5k uh and you're not tying up your acam but and uh, it's, it's definitely awesome to have it there people have been uh, begging red for for a time lapse and uh the other function in this update which is uh able to do monitor flipping which is like a pretty basic function which the 3d guys because they're flipping mounting cameras upside down and back to front in rigs all the time Hmm. i've been begging the ability to be able to not just flip monitors be able to flip the uh user interface as well all the menus to be flipped as well so you know you've got a camera that's bolted upside down in a rig you just ridiculous to have to you know have a menu that that's not so and also just the ability to be able to mount the monitor in weird positions or, or undersling undersling the uh, uh, red touchscreens. Just fantastic. And, and they've really sort of tidied up the user interface, made it a lot neater, a lot cleaner, a lot nicer looking as well. So it's a major upgrade. There's a couple of bug fixes, I think, since this. Uh, since this. So since um, uh, uh, this was, I think, late last year or the very beginning beginning of the year i think they've updated and done a couple of bug fixes since but uh, yeah we, we have that new software on, on my epic though i haven't used the ramping because i just um too much of a post guy that i don't yeah. do that hey I, that reminds me can i just i just want to i'd love to think and i'm in the real in in an ideal world which i don't think is necessarily what red revolves in in an ideal world the meisler module which has you know outputs for motors and focus motors and things ideally if you did ramping you'd be able to um punch in you know program an iris motor to do compensating but you know there's just stuff just happens too slow for for this i mean i i, I can't I'd, I'd love to think that the in the ramping that would that you could fix it with the with the meisler and and uh, and and kind of do what you could do easily with ari but uh i don't know if you can do it terrific let me know because ramping is terrific without but without being able to some, do some sort of exposure compensation as i say maybe if you just take the shutter out of relative mode and and and, and you can it, it'll, it'll do it but uh yeah if you've had much play with it i'd love to, I'd love to know I was going to say, uh, I've 
forgot to ask you about this before, but um, did you, am I right in thinking that you've actually got your hands on the, because uh, you're talking about monitors, about the OLED um, small HD? Uh, I, yes. I bought yeah. the small HD on your recommendation. The DP6? The DP6, yes. and I'm really happy with it. Absolutely, and, as you should be. It is like the gold standard, I think, for at least that size, 5.6-inch, um, just kick around on board, be it, be it professional onset or um, uh, just DSLR work. I think they are brilliant, bright, sharp, Excellent menus, love them. But but the OLED, as you know, I love my OLED Sony. Yes. Do you? So you have the OLED. I have the OLED, the AC seven. So what they're bringing out, I think, is what they're going to call DP seven and or DPXs, which is going to be now looking more like NAB around April time, and that will be an OLED and a high brightness version. In the meantime, what what they're bringing out is something called the AC7, which is, depending on whether you go with LCD or an OLED, it's either a 7-inch or a 7.7-inch monitor. Which one's bigger? Uh, The OLED is 7.7, the LCD is 7. They're both 1280 by 800. They weigh virtually nothing, only about 340 grams. Uh, the the OLED is an eight bit OLED panel. It's only about two hundred fifty nits brightness, uh, but uh, it looks to be about as bright as the DP six. So at least it's not as it's not any any dimmer. It's not going to be a super high bright version. If you you're going to have to wait till April for that, but at least it's not something where you need to hide uh, in, a, in a darkened room to be able to make the most of it. It does look beautiful. It is The main thing is it's a very large monitor and it's uh, reasonably cheap and the you have the option of doing SDI and HDMI or just HDMI only. So there's four versions. There's the LCD uh, with just HDMI or with HDMI and SDI and same deal with the OLEDs. Going anywhere from five ninety nine up to thirteen ninety nine, but they're out now. And as I say, it's not it's not designed to be necessarily stopgap technology. These these panels will be this OLED panel will be the same panel that goes into the the ones they release in uh, in April. But the ones the the, the newer models coming in April will be significantly. Um, an upgrade touchscreen um, interfaces on the back, so you can plug. Um, like Paralynx transmit receivers on the back to all self-power, lots of functions, onboard recording through an SD card, lots of things. So this is kind of a mid, mid-range mid between between those high-end ones and, say, DP6s. So, uh, so it's beautiful. just the battery options, because I'm quite up on that. So I've, yeah. So you could I just put Sony batteries on it? I mean, yeah, you, cab, you can Canon use the same it? plates. I'm not sure what plate you've got for the back of your DP6, but those same battery plates adapt to these. So if you can okay. use Sony plates. Um, LPE6, the Canon plates, or Anton Bauer plates, and or um, they've got cables for high rows, um, DTAP, lots of powering options. And just with a couple of um, Canon 5D batteries, they, they run, run fine. And how I've got it at the moment and why I'm really keen to get the 7.7 inch, what I've been using lately... And what I used on my last job exclusively didn't have any video village. All I had was the um, DP, this AC7 with my Paralynx. As you know, I've mentioned it before. I'm a bit of a, a um, wireless monitor um, fiend. I love the uh, the Paralynx uh, HD wireless transmitter. And I just had that on the back of it and just gave that to the agency. And that's what we had the entire time for our, for our split. But so having a larger screen like that was, was terrific for them. But you reckon that a 7.7, which mm. is dimmer than the 7, 
albeit that it's got a much better contrast yes. ratio, would be better. You'd prefer to have the contrast ratio and a slightly less bright than the slightly smaller, slightly brighter, less contrast ratio 7, just between those hmm. two. Good, good. It depends what your usage is. I think if you're purely going outdoors and uh, you're doing it more just for getting an image and you want a nice large screen, you're not necessarily doing absolute colour judgement, then just go for the 7-inch LCD. Uh, if you'll maybe want a half and half it, you never know whether you actually want to have it indoors and really judging your exposure off it and the other 50% of the time you've, you've got it as just a regular, I just need to see something, please, monitor, then maybe the OLED. There's a significant uh, price difference from, say, eight ninety nine or 6 six or 800 bucks to, to $1,300. Um, I mean, the the DP six, as you know, looks 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 gorgeous. Because um, anything shrunk down looks kind of sharper, yeah, better. It whatever. does. This so is true. this is true. You know, if you've got a big monitor, it starts to become a bigger issue. The other thing is, and and so I don't know if this is the case. The one the one that I've got is um a previous generation, but it's got that great cover. Um, you know, which the, the hood, hood thing, hood thing, yeah. Yes, yeah. There's a similar really arrangement for hood there. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, absolutely, and it's it, it fits on nicely. They've got a similar a similar setup. They've got a hood available for this. It's not some um, crappy Velcro thing that doesn't work very well. No, no, no. It clips on properly and it's professional. And the, the especially it, it it it's not quite the same design as the DP6. The DP6 hood is just. Uh, awesome this is this still works well and it's great but it's a little bit lighter setup because the monitor itself is is light you don't want to have a really um you know a nice light monitor and then have a you know a huge i think they had a work experience guy who just graduated from design school who came in and spent way too long making his perfect hood and i appreciate that they had that kid in doing it because yes. whoever made that hood is my friend i'm sure he works there now but uh, I mean, the, the, the DP, the AC7 is still beautifully made. It's got this aluminium skeleton. It has Gorilla Glass on the front of it. It's uh, what does that mean? Gorilla Glass. It's like uh, I think Dow Corn- Corningware make it. It's kind of like I guess it's kind. It's like it's iPhone toughened, glass. Toughened glass. Yes, it's the same 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 glass on the iPhone. Oh, well, that doesn't scratch. No. I mean, seriously, I'm a little bit sarcastic. Yeah, you probably don't want to go riding on it with Chinagraph all day long, but I think, you know, it's certainly... I've, I've, I've not seen any scratches on mine yet, and I certainly haven't seen them on my iPhone, and I don't have a screen protector on my iPhone 5. But, um, yeah, so I'm definitely very keen to see the high brightness uh, when it comes out in April the, of the, the new one, the new... Is that your series. nickname, Gorilla Glass? Did you make that up? This sounds like a... No, no, it's, no? it's a trademark, actually, I think, by Corning... Oh, okay. I think even if you probably you probably even go to gorillaglass.com. I don't know, but I think Corning is uh, uh, Corning make that, and that is definitely. If I'm, I think um, iPhone, uh, I think Apple definitely you know call their glass Gorilla Glass, and I think the next one's going to have. I think there's Gorilla Glass Gorilla Glass two. So yeah, no, you I know think what it's, you it's, can it's, actually it's go like, to like, Corning CorningGorillaGlass.com. Right. There's actually a website devoted to go. this glass. Excellent. I'm sure it has lots of applications outside of us. But if you have, I think it's it's kind of like what's what's that glass bakeware? Pyrex. It's probably like Pyrex. I don't know. Maybe. Apparently, they've sold a billion of them. So I'm pretty late to this party. Wow. Impressive. Now, I just quickly the what what is different? This has got sl- slightly upgraded um, firmware from the DP6, and what it has is absolute killer focus assist modes. It's got some an, a few new modes: focus assist plus, focus assist max, and focus in color. So, if you know, like the the Sony F3 and the um, the 700s and 100s, 
they have that really nice, and I think maybe even in, even Marshall might have had it, you know, the, where you get the red line round things. They'll, they'll do focus in colour as well. But the Focus Assist Max and Focus Assist Plus are just outstanding. Um, if you cannot get this in focus, then just give, <laughs> just give it up, okay? Yeah, just go fishing. Um, the uh, other thing they have, another thing they have, which was really good, first ACs are going really going to love this. It has this uh, two times zoom mode. So basically, you can. I mean, I can't if I'm shooting, say, with the Epic, I can't run it with the focus zoomed in the whole time. But I certainly can with the um, uh, with this monitor. So the first AC can have this on board and put it into two times zoom mode. So he actually gets a blown up vision of of, uh, of the image. So he can be absolutely just just nailing it or watching the eyes. You can't position where that two times goes at the moment, but you know it's it's just another way to to get it sharp. So just by the way, yeah, yes. you can actually download uh, Gorilla Tones from the Corningware site. So I don't know if you can hear that. I thought that was your dog having breakfast. So, so they have screen savers of gorillas, and then they have ringtones of gorillas, because okay. apparently if you're trying to sell gorilla glass, you've sold a billion, and the marketing department then has nothing else to do, so they just go okay. have fun. I think the marketing department's been licking, licking a bit too much lead crystal or something. That's apparently just... there are games as well, as well as wallpapers you can download. Right, quick. I bet, the, I bet the kids are just rushing for the gorilla glass. Frequently games. asked questions about gorillas. <laughs> Okay. Well, what else are you going to do for the marketing department for glass, really, <laughs> for something you can't even see? Anyway. <clears throat> okay. Uh, what's next? Now, I've ju- I, I got to quickly mention a couple of other pieces, cool pieces of gear. The uh, We talked earlier on about uh, Ari. I don't know how I can afford you to do that because I'm, I'm already waiting for this podcast to finish so I can buy one of these sliders. <laughs> if you keep on coming up with Wait, stuff. Wait, there's more. I'm already buying microphones. I'm like, this is bankrupting me doing this podcast. Now, the new the Ari, as we mentioned, it just absolutely kill the wireless focus uh, market, and um, it's often a choice why why, why Ari will um, you know get a lot of um, get a lot of contracts for for, for features just because uh, you know the assistants will get swayed as well by this gear because it all does just work beautifully, and Ari are relentless about making the best focus zoom. Uh, iris controllers the new wcu4 is just outstandingly fantastic it has uh, a lot of the times with the ARRI stuff you have to have a bit of an add-on like if you're not just going to do focus wirelessly uh, if you want to do zoom then you kind of bolt another little bit on there or iris you've got to add on a little module but this wcu4 will do iris zoom focus all in one spot and give you all of your markers because it's it's feeding back from the camera all the time through lens data. Uh, it'll give you all of this information on the display, a beautiful, uh, beautiful, vivid display. Uh, the focus knob itself is backlit from within, so and you can and Ari because they also involved in making the lenses have um, pre in, pre engraved uh, marking discs that match the lenses that they make. So you've got. A zoom control, iris control, focus control, all in one. Vibrating markers and alerts. This is genius. Tactile vibrating feedback lets you keep your eye on the action uh, in the most challenging situations, and operators can f- concentrate on the scene knowing that the hand unit will vibrate to prompt them when markers are reached um, or when a camera alert occurs. So you can actually be pulling focus, and if, the, if you're running low on media or if you've got a battery issue... Um, your hand control is going to vibrate and, and, and bring your attention to an alert. 
obviously you can roll camera, you can do everything. And it's not 50 million cables, it's all the batteries internal. This is just genius. Only weighs about 780 grams. It's the lightest. These it, things can it's get just, Yeah, it is the Rolls Royce of... I mean, these oh. guys are just... They get it. Yeah, they, they if, just... if you're an assistant... I mean, a lot of times, just to be able to get up with... get. Keep, keep going with the schedule you've got to do. A lot of times people will just put a beautiful, nice, fast zoom on the camera, rig it up at the beginning of the day with all the motors and have this have a hand controller wireless. And regardless whether you're a Steadicam, even just standing next to it on the tripod, if it's a crane, you just, you're wireless, working wireless the whole time and don't even bother with a focus, a follow focus unit. This is what you work off all day. And then if, it's, if it does get put on a dolly, you don't have to worry about finding yourself a seat, getting right close to the knob all the time. You can just... Always be working wireless, and then you can step away from the camera. You can go and write your own marks, and and uh, at, so it's it's just beautiful. I wish I wish part of me wishes this makes me want to go back and be a, a focus puller again a little bit, only for a little bit, and then I'll run screaming into the night <laughs> after after hey. day one. <laughs> Can I uh, can I do a shout out for something that's on our site that yes, is talking about things that you like. Um, so Warren Eagles, who's done a bunch of training for us, has stuck up uh, some basically like film trailer leader scratch effects clips that you can um, grab. These are like royalty free clips. Um, they're not free, but they're um, they're great and they're kind of the ones. There are some packages out there that do this. These are sort of new in the sense that they're his private collection yeah. a bin of stuff and there are two in particular the fog which i really like and the film crazy one um there's also a burning one and a videoy one but the fog one and the gray one and i just like using them and i like i just i can't get past how much i like bits of film out on telecines yeah and um, it's some some beautiful stuff here and as you if you go to the uh, fx uh, phd it's on the phd store isn't it mm. so it's fxphd.com and i'll put a link in the show notes but there's a there's a, like i guess trailers for each of these packages so you can choose which one you buy and there's also a nice little intro on the whole setup from warren uh, talking through where he get all the clips from and how he sourced them, and they are really—it's literally, a, 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 I guess, a labour of love for him over the years, collecting scraps and bits and pieces as as stuff goes past his desk for you know uh, years as a uh, uh, as a colorist. Yeah, and I've got to say, like, instead of just buying them individually, which, quite frankly, we're not really like a you know that kind of a site, so we yeah. just package them up. So there's like 34 clips that are HD in the bundle that i like that's called fog and there's like 27 clips in film grain which i also like um uh yeah anyway have a look at them but i just uh, i do a shout out and of course warren's a really great guy so uh we have yeah to help him out but um, absolutely also interested to see if uh there's you know interest in this from other people because i mean i just love it to death and uh i found that buying those clips can be a bit expensive if you're doing them individually so we just sort of bundle them all up for like a sensible amount of money um yeah. and but yeah, I we use them at the moment in our uh, this week with FX Guide TV. Uh, sorry, this week in, in FX PhD we have this kind of like weekly thing just because you're snapshot behind what's going on inside the, the um, PhD. And uh, yeah, they're a lot of fun. And I see something else that's really fun, and I think that you came across it uh, independently. I think, but Jim in our office flagged um, this five buck cinemeter for the iPhone. Did you get that from Jim, or did you just separately find it? 
I think Jim usually scours the same blogs as I do around about the same time. So literally probably about the time that I'd spot something, I get an email from Jim saying, have you seen this? But uh, I think, yeah, between the, between the two of us, we've, we're, yeah, we're sort of, it's, 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 it's unusual. Cinemeter. We should have uh, brought that up when we were talking about um, Light meters. meters. So Cinemeter from iPhone, which I guess it's kind of like, it's scopes really, isn't it? For, um, uh, for, for your iPhone. Uh, yeah, I mean, the thing is, if you don't happen to... Let's say you're on set and you go, oh my God, I wish I had a light meter or I had something to like... you know, And you've got this in your pocket, well, it's obviously not taking up any room. So it wouldn't be that you would replace it. It wouldn't be like I would say, oh, I'd use this instead of using a yeah. proper scope or I wouldn't use this instead of using a proper light meter. But if you were somewhere and it just sort of came up, well, like, we're going to put a green screen up and is that looking pretty even or whatever? And then you just say, well, I don't... Okay, actually, I do. I'll just use this and I'll just have a look. And it just... It helps you in that sense that obviously we'd be lying if we said this is going to be, you know, the definitive metering. Yeah. It's... But also it's the sort of... I mean, like, it's not free, but it's like free in the sense that it's no effort to take it <laughs> like it's going to be on you if you're on set yeah it's like having it in your pocket bucks. yeah yeah if you've like, got it in your pocket and you don't necessarily have the camera people's cameras being still being set up or it's being moved and you don't have it with you and you're just quickly checking something you always have your phone with you it's got a nice little false color um system as well where it actually overlays the false colors over the um over the i guess you call it the parade or over 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 a scope so you can kind of mm-hmm. see where things sit i i first i thought well <laughs> How how can you tell whether this is actually, you know, every iPhone's not going to be, isn't calibrated like a meter is. So there is actually, but then there is actually a calibration of sorts in this where you actually put it up against a grey card and then you can, you know, you can kind of give it a baseline so it, it, it you can adjust it. And, and so from then on, it kind of tracks correctly. Um, look, it, you know, it's, it's a very clever little, little, clever little app. These apps are getting good. If only the camera that they were all controlling on would be uh, would um, uh, would get a little bit better, or if Apple gave, I just don't think the camera itself works that way. You know, I don't think the actual phone itself has access to you know shutter speed and iris. I think it's just that it's just that too simple a camera. Yeah, for, for, no, well, it, software it is. to to let you let you get into it. But that being said, um, it's not useless. It's it's yeah. better than. Like if you don't have anything, having this could be like really good. I mean, there are some app, there are some apps like Sunseeker that are really just you know like there isn't another option. Like yeah, you, well there are other apps, but there's not like you know you're trying to work out where the sun's going to come up. And you're looking over here, and is it going to be on this thing? And, yeah. and you need something like that. And so it's not yeah. replacing a different tool. It is that's pretty much thing. my go-to app for the sun for finding a sun position. It's one of those ones where if it's not set up right, it's like what the fuck? The sun is not over there. Um, it's over here. It either works perfectly, insa- insanely wrong, or or insanely right. absolutely spot on. Yeah, yeah. normally if the sun is on the right. floor, you know it's wrong. Yeah, if the sun, yeah, if you can see the sun and it's telling you the sun is under your feet or something, or the, the moon is where the sun should be, then you, you know it's, you haven't set it up quite right. But uh, it's a little too not quite full. It's not quite foolproof enough uh, for me for for this fool. But uh, I think when it's but when certainly when it's when if it's set correctly, it's just it is outstandingly accurate. And if you go, you put it up in the sky and go, oh yeah, that's that's not where the sun's going to go. Are you mad? And then it's it's right. You know, even even if it's your own backyard and your own, you, oh, the sun always goes behind that tree. And you go, nope, it doesn't. This it's usually it's it's nine to- ninety times out of a hundred, it's right. 
but uh, it's a good little app. And yeah, so Cinemeter as well for iPhone. Worth a look. Um, particularly, as I say, if you don't have a monitor, if you don't have a camera set up, and this is a, just a kind of a quick and easy little, um, you know, if you're trying, if you're lighting a green screen without anything else, you know, if you don't have any other access to false colors or um, a, a waveform monitor or, or any camera with, with those functions, this will just get you, this will get you 90% of the way. Yeah, absolutely. And a quick little shout out to a mate of mine, again, as I mentioned, the Paralynx uh, wireless uh, wireless setup. One of the couple of the couple of I suppose if you can call them complaints or whinges for people who want um, something for nothing uh, about the Paralinks is a is why is it just HDMI? But the other one was why can't I transmit to more than one receiver? Now uh, Dan Keynes from Paralinks has fixed this up, so there is actually a kind of a in in the I guess the true red kind of um, uh, obsolete, obsolescence is obsolete kind of uh, mindset. He's uh, offered the uh, upgrade to the multicast system so you can actually have up to about four receivers. So you could have one for a handheld director's monitor and then another one going back to Video Village and maybe another one for um, um, a puppeteer or someone behind set or a first AD or a steady cam op. So uh, you have to send your unit back. It's not just a software upgrade, uh, but depending on how many receivers you want to receive, it's not giving you any better range. It's exactly the same range, but what you do is you'll get, say, for $849, send your kit back, and he will send you two receivers and a new and a new transmitter. And they will basically just fire them both up, and you'll get two signals to two, or you can do three or four, depending on how many you know, depending on how many how many you want. I think it's sixteen hundred bucks or so to get uh, three receivers and two and a half grand to get four. So that's pretty good for something that essentially you know he doesn't have to offer that up. He's basically taking them back for you know giving you basically what what you paid for them. So I just wanted to shout that out because he's listening. And the SDI thing as well is uh, in the works and um, watch this space. So he's 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 not resting. Thank you, Dan. Now, I know we're running over just two quick little last mentions. Mike Sutton, or MNS1974 on Twitter, has taken on this project of making a copy of the much-loved by anyone who ever used them wooden Arton hand grips. Not only has he cracked this project, but he's he's selling them now. It's a beautiful copy of the original. Uh, this is a hand-carved ergonomic timber handle that would have sold with any Arton film camera. Now... If you've ever used an Arton, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about, and I would be equally pleased to know that uh, this is coming to market. They're hand-carved from black walnut and come with a thumb screw just like the original and has an Arri standard rosette, and he's selling them for an insane, I think, $350 shipped anywhere in the States. Michael already designs and prototyped camera accessories for the digital cinema market, and he makes combat handles and grips and tactical plates and brackets and things, so he knows what he's doing. Uh, to order one, contact him via Twitter or mns1974.com, which is his website. Now, the first round is a just a hand grip, a trigger-free version, but there's a left-hand version of that and a stop-start trigger version coming for Epic, Alexa, and Blackmagic. So I'm definitely buying you a beard and a beam, Mike, for bringing this one to life. Thank you. And for an insane prize, too. The last uh, shout-out is for Trekpack, who I know I've mentioned before and can't shut up about. Uh, Trekpack make customizable Pelican case uh, inserts and backpack dividers that 
make you want to take any Velcro divider you've ever used outside of the house and burn it, give it a Viking burial. They're offering a 10% discount off anything at trekpack.com. Just use the discount code of Wingrove6814. Wingrove6814. No idea the significance of that code, but there you go. And there's no kickbacks for me or anything there. It's just a nice offer from the lovely Georgia and Kelly at uh, Trekback. Thanks, ladies. Uh, okay, I'm done. Brilliant. Well, look, I've got to get going, but yes. it's been great talking to you, my friend. Thanks, mate. And uh, thanks so much. And we, of course, have the show notes as standard on the site. If you need to uh, find out what's going on between shows, follow Jason on Twitter, which is... Wingrove. Or me, Mike Seymour, or of course, just hang out at FX Guy. Thanks so much for being with us, guys. Thanks yeah. to the team who put this together each week and, of course, doing all the editing and stuff. Until next time, Jace, see you later. See Bye. Thanks for listening. Send your questions or comments to rc at fxguide.com. Copyright 2011, FX Guide, LLC.